Our Bible reading is from Psalm 115. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. This is the word of God. My name is Adam. It's great to have you with us today. Whether you're here in the building, whether you're joining us online, it's good to be here and to sing to our God and to worship Him and now to open up His Word together. You know, have you ever had it where you've been in a class or a conversation and you've had a question that you'd like to ask, but you're afraid to ask it? You're afraid that you might look stupid or or it might be a dumb question or you're afraid that you might get something wrong. It's always a relief, isn't it, when someone puts their hand up and they ask your question. It's a relief because if it's a dumb question, well, they look stupid. But if it's a good question, you get to hear the answer. Now, I've had that many times in my life through school and through uni and, and so on. You know, there was an occasion in, in Jesus' life when something similar happened. This is what we read in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I imagine that some of the other disciples were glad that this individual asked that question. I imagine they would have liked to ask that question themselves. I'm certainly glad that one of the disciples asked this question because I need help to pray. I need to learn how to pray, especially from Jesus. Now, what we're doing in our current series, the series that we kicked off last week called How to Pray, a simple guide for normal people, is we're looking at Jesus' incredible response to this humble request from the disciples to teach them to pray. Because amazingly, in his response to this request, Jesus does not dismiss it as a stupid question. Jesus does not embarrass the disciple for asking this question. Jesus does not give them a long list of sophisticated techniques that they need to master if they want to pray. He does not give them a 300-page manual. He gives them, and us, a simple prayer to pray. He gives them what has become known as the Lord's Prayer. And it's this prayer that we're looking at in this series. Now, last week, we discovered a few important truths about the Lord's Prayer. We discovered, first of all, and this might sound obvious to you, but I think it's important that the Lord's Prayer is short, It's two halves, six petitions, 57 words in the original Greek language. It'll take you about 20 seconds to pray from beginning to end. You can even fit it in a single tweet if you use Twitter. 
If you don't know what Twitter is and you don't use Twitter, you're not missing out on anything. It's also not only short, it's also simple. It's simple enough for anyone to understand and pray. Remember the disciples, the the ones to whom Jesus gave this prayer, they were ordinary, everyday, normal people like you and me. They had jobs like you and me. They had troubles and concerns like you and me. And this is the prayer that Jesus gave them to pray. It's also a guide. It's a model. It's a pattern. It's a framework for our prayers. When Jesus gave it to them, he said, this is how you should pray. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And in this series, we want to learn from Jesus about how you and I can pray. Now, last week, we looked at the opening line of the prayer. We looked at the address, the way that Jesus calls us to address God. And we saw, amazingly, incredibly, mind-blowingly, we have the privilege to call God our Father in heaven. When we sit down to pray, we are talking to our Father in heaven. Now, if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because to know God as our Father in heaven, it's foundational to understanding prayer. This week, we are looking at the very first petition that Jesus taught us to pray for and to pray about. The very first thing Jesus wants us to pray when we sit down to pray. Now, I wonder what is generally the first thing that you pray for. I wonder what's on your lips when you first begin to pray. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably naturally begin by asking. Dear Lord, please do this. Please help me with this. Please give me this. Please stop this from happening. We're a little bit like the children whose parents go away and and when they finally come back, the kids come running up to mum and dad and they say, Mum and dad! Did you get us anything? Mum and dad, they're not sharing. Or even more annoyingly, mum and dad, what's for dinner? There's no embrace, there's no welcome, it's just endless requests. And if we're being honest, this is how many of us approach prayer. We begin by asking. But Jesus models something different for us in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus begins this prayer, this pattern prayer, in a different way. Now, of course, it's not wrong to ask for things. I mean, asking is at the heart of prayer. The whole second half of the Lord's Prayer is about asking for things, for provision, for forgiveness, for protection. It's not even wrong to begin your prayers by asking for things. I mean, if you're on a plane that is plummeting to the ground, you don't have to put on a Hillsong album first. You can just say, God, help. It's not wrong to ask for things. But if we want to develop a disciplined prayer life, if if we want to grow in prayer, if we want to become healthy in prayer, then Jesus says we should begin another way. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus says, before you launch into a a shopping list, take time to pause, to address God affectionately, and to praise, to worship, to adore Him. 
begin with, hallowed be your name. Now the question is, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to pray, hallowed be your name? Because hallowed is not a word that we use very often, is it? I mean, when was the last time you used the word hallowed in conversation with someone? When was the last time you heard it used? Now, in Queensland, every year around State of Origin time, you'll generally hear references to the hallowed turf of Lang Park, which tells you a lot about what we revere in our culture. But that's about the only way in which we use this word. What are we praying when we pray, hallowed be your name? That's the question I'd like us to explore briefly this morning. And and I want to ask three questions of this important petition. Three simple questions. Firstly, what does it mean? Secondly, why does it matter? And then thirdly, how do we do it? What does it mean? Why does it matter? How do we do it? Firstly, what does it mean? Well, obviously, to understand what this means, we need to understand those two important words, hallowed and name. Now, firstly, in the Bible, a name was more than just a label. A name would tell you something about a person's character, their reputation, their personality. It's a way of summarizing who they are. For example, there's a character in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel whose name is Nabal. Now, that is a word that means fool. Thanks, mum and dad. Great name. Now, if you read his story in 1 Samuel, you'll see that he lives up to his name. He acts very foolishly, and I can confirm that Nabal is not on our list of baby names. But it's the same when it comes to God. God's name reflects his character, his essence, his being, his person, who he is. And so what does it mean for for God's name to be hallowed? Well, the word hallowed is related to the word holy. And the word holy means to be set apart, to be unique, to be special. So when we pray for God's name to be hallowed, we are praying for God's name to be set apart, to be unique, to be given preeminence, for God's name to be honored, to be magnified, to be glorified. We're asking that God's name would be put up in lights before all of us. Now, you might be wondering, wait, wait a minute, why do we have to pray for, for God's name to be holy? Isn't God already holy? Now, of course, this is not a prayer for God to become holy. God is already totally and perfectly holy. This is a prayer for God's name to be seen as holy, to be recognized as special, as unique, as set apart. This is exactly the same prayer that we read in Psalm 115 just a moment ago. Verse 1, which says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. We are asking that God would be seen for who he really is, as great and as glorious. And so the very first thing that Jesus calls on us to pray about when we begin to pray, the most central thing, the supreme thing, it is for God to be honored, it is for God to be glorified. It's to say, God, may your name be worshipped by your whole creation. May the whole cosmos, Lord, resound with your praise. Hallowed be your name. Now, I think the most helpful way to think about this is to think about a microscope and a telescope. Now, both a microscope and a telescope magnify things. 
but they do so in different ways. A microscope takes something that is really small and it makes it look really big. But a telescope does the opposite. It takes something that looks really small, but in actuality, in reality, is massive. And it helps us to see the reality. So, for example, if it's nighttime and you look up into the stars, the stars look really small, don't they? To quote the great philosopher Timon from The Lion King, they look like fireflies stuck in the night sky. But in reality, they are gigantic. And when you look through a telescope, it helps you to see that reality. Now, the truth is, we spend our lives as if we're, often, as if we're staring through a microscope. Obsessed about ourselves and our concerns and our feelings. And we often treat prayer as if it's a microscope. We focus only on ourselves and our concerns and our feelings. And so right up front, Jesus wants us to swap the microscope for the telescope. He wants us to begin our prayers not by looking at ourselves, but by gazing up to look at the glory of God. Now this is so important because for so many people today, God seems small and insignificant. I mean, all day, every day, people everywhere, they live their lives as if God doesn't really matter. As if God doesn't really exist. When in reality, He matters more than anything else. He is the most glorious being in the universe. And this is why when we pray, hallowed be your name, Jesus is inviting us to look through the telescope and to pray that others might see what we see, the glory and the majesty and the splendor of the one true living God. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us to begin with God and his glory. That's what this phrase means, but this leads us to our second question, and that is, why does it matter? Why is it important that we pray this way? Well, if you're a Christian, I hope the answer is obvious. We want God's name to be lifted above all else because God matters more than anything else. I mean, God is, as I've just said, the greatest being in the universe. God is the reason there is a universe. God is the reason there are stars. God is the reason you and I are breathing right now. God is great and glorious and gracious. And it's important for us to recognize this because, like I said last week, if we don't have a proper view of God, if we don't know the God to whom we pray, we won't know how to pray. And so last week, we addressed one of the common misconceptions about God, that He's always angry with us. He's always disappointed in us. He doesn't want to hear from us. And we saw that God is our Father in heaven. He loves to hear our prayers. He wants to hear our prayers. Well, in this line here, Jesus addresses another common misconception about God. He shows us the opposite danger, which is to domesticate God, to overlook His holiness, to to dismiss His sovereignty, to ignore His glory. In other words, to lose sight of the Godness of God, if I can put it that way. Now, this has always been a human problem. I mean, this is the heart of the human problem. To not treat God as God, to not relate to God as for who He really is. 
And I think it's a particularly modern problem. I mean, we talk about the big man in the sky. We talk about God helping us to fulfill our destinies. We talk as if kind of God exists for us. But that's not generally the way the Bible talks. If you read through the book of Acts, which is about the early church, if you read through the prayers of the Apostle Paul, if you read through the writings of John, especially the book of Revelation, you will see that they recognized the Godness of God, the greatness of God, the glory of God. They understood that we don't control God. Yes, God hears and answers our prayers, but we cannot control Him and we cannot manipulate Him. This is what we read as well in Psalm 115 verse 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. God is sovereign. You know, Pete Gregg has written a great book on prayer. It's actually where we got the, the title for this series. And in this book, Pete talks about how his wife, Sammy, she has suffered with chronic illnesses for much of her life. And Pete describes his experiences with, with many Christians. This is what he says. He says, I meet well-meaning people everywhere I go. When they hear that my wife is sick, they urge me with extraordinary levels of eye contact to pray for her in some better way or to break off some random curse, or to have her repent of a particular attitude, or to take a particular nutritional supplement, or to visit a particular healing ministry, or to stand on our heads with a garlic clove in each ear singing the Hallelujah Chorus. Compared to these people, I sometimes feel feeble with all my questions, my frayed faith, my stumbling down the corridor at night, fumbling for the bathroom light. Sometimes I envy them but I can't help feeling that their God, or is it their God, small g, is just a bit too neat. A plastic dashboard Jesus bobbing his head along to whatever music we choose to play. I don't understand why Sammy has not yet been fully healed. God knows we've prayed. I definitely don't understand why he does some miracles and not others. It often seems so arbitrary. But I'm learning to understand that I may never fully understand. I'm learning to be a bit more okay with not being okay. Life sometimes hurts, but I've discovered that deleting God from the equation doesn't actually help. It merely removes all meaning and morality from the mess and all real hope from the future. You see, Pete understands what the Bible teaches, that we can't control God. He understands what what we desperately need to understand, that God doesn't exist for us, but we exist for him. Yes, God is for us. He loves us. He's proven that to us by sending Jesus. But he's not subservient to us. This is how a document called the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it, which is a a document that helps us to understand the important Christian beliefs and, and teachings. The very first question of this document is this, what is the chief end of man? In other words, why do we exist? What's our purpose? Why are we here? Answer, Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We exist for God. We exist to glorify God. And this is why the petition, hallowed be your name, matters. It matters because God matters more than anything else. And it matters because you and I need God more than anything else. 
I mean, we think that when it comes to prayer, what we really need is for God to give us what we ask for. And listen, that's, of course, that's what we want. That's why we pray. That's why we ask. That's not wrong. But what we truly ultimately need is more of God. Not necessarily a better marriage or a better job or better health. Now, they're all good things that we can and we should pray for. But if we're going to have a good marriage, or if we're going to endure a difficult marriage, or if we're going to be a faithful employee at a difficult job, or if we're going to make sense of a difficult diagnosis, we need to grasp the treasure that we have in God. We need to know who God is and what He's done for us, what He's promised to us, His character, His goodness. Because when we understand this, it will put everything else in proper perspective. You know, Tim Keller talks about the time when he preached on the Lord's Prayer and he preached a sermon on this particular line, hallowed be your name. He talked about the the priority of adoring God before we begin asking God for things. And he says a week later, a, a lady in his church, she came up to him and she said, you've changed my whole life. And Tim said, well, awesome. Tell me a little bit about that. She said, well, it's just common sense. Now that I spend time adoring, it seems to put things in perspective. And by the time I get to my prayer requests, instead of being absolutely worried about them, I'm able to lay them in his hands and relax. See, when we begin with God, it puts everything else in perspective. No, I'm not saying we won't be or we shouldn't ever be anxious or confused or fearful or sad or or any of those things. We, We will be. But if we begin with God, it helps to put those things, our fears, our anxieties, our worries, our concerns in perspective. And the fact is, when it comes to our prayer life, this is what so many of us skip. This is what so many of us leave out. And this is partly why we find ourselves so spiritually empty. It's because we're neglecting to adore God and we're just jumping to asking God. A young lady in our church, she wrote a poem last week and she put it on Facebook, which is where I saw it, and I've got her permission to share it with you, which is also a warning that if you put something on Facebook, it might end up in the sermon. She writes this. She says, God, I don't want to use you anymore. I forget to come near to you when things are going well. Only when I am drowning do I call to you to pull me to shore. I forget to thank you and sit at your feet in awe. I don't want to use you anymore. Now, that's exactly what adoration is all about. That's exactly why Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer with hallowed be your name. We don't want to use God. We want to worship God. We want to remember who he is and what he's done. And this is why we need to turn to our final question. We've seen what it means to hallow God's name. We've looked at why it matters. Finally, we need to answer, well, how do we do it? How do we do it? And as Caroline and Melvin pointed out a few moments ago, well, really, we do it with our whole lives. We do it with the way that we live, the way that we think, the way that we talk, the way that we sing, the way that we work, the way that we witness, the way we use our money, our talents, our time, the way we even use social media. I mean, all of those things we do to the glory of God, for God's name to be hallowed. But because we're in a a series about prayer, I want to make a few suggestions specific to prayer. 
I want to make a few, offer a few thoughts for us to build in worship and adoration into our prayer life. Some of these I'm borrowing from Pete Gregg in his book. The first, if you're taking notes, is this. It's to awaken your soul. Or, or I might just put it, wake up. Because to be honest, when we approach God to pray, we won't always feel like worshipping and adoring and praising God. Often, we'll need to take hold of ourselves and wake ourselves up. I mean, this is exactly what King David did in Psalm 103. Listen to this. He says, praise the Lord, my soul. He's talking to himself. He's telling himself to praise God. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. He's giving himself a talking to. He's saying, soul, you will praise God whether you like it or not. And now instead of waiting to worship until we feel like it, which might be a very long wait, we need to begin to wake ourselves up. We need to begin to talk to ourselves, to instruct ourselves to praise God, to remind ourselves of who God is and what God has done for us. Now initially, this might feel a little bit fake if you're not feeling it, but that's okay. You don't always have to feel it. I mean, if we only ever told our spouse, I love you, when we were caught up in moments of of overwhelming passion, we wouldn't say it enough. Sometimes when it comes to worship, the first thing we need to do is wake ourselves up. The second thing we can do to help us to worship and adore God in prayer is to learn the names. It's to learn the names of God. If we're going to hallow God's name, worship God's name, we need to understand more about God's name. Now, like I mentioned last week, there are many different names for God in the Bible, many different ways in which God is described. When you read the Bible, just take note of the different ways in which God is described. You'll come across all different kinds of amazing descriptions. He's the eternal God, the mighty God, the living God, the holy one, a rock, a refuge, a hiding place, a fortress, a stronghold, our provider, our comfort, our hope, our peace, our shepherd, our shield and more. To learn the names of God, to learn the character of God in his word will help us to worship and praise God. Thirdly, what will help us to worship and praise God in prayer is to use the prayer book that God has given to us. We can pray a psalm. One of the simplest and most effective ways to build worship and adoration into your prayer life is to use the Psalms. To pray, to read and pray a Psalm once a day. And you'll find the Psalms in the middle of the Bible. There are a collection of poems and songs and prayers. Many were written by King David. And this was even the prayer book that Jesus used. I mean, Jesus was always reciting Psalms, even on the cross. So one of the ways that you and I can grow in our prayer life is to become familiar with the Psalms. Now, if you'd like some help to to do that, to read and pray the Psalms, there's an article in the Growth Group Guide all about that. And so you can check that out. I'd also recommend a devotional by Tim Keller called The Songs of Jesus, which will take you through the Psalms in a year and offer a devotional and a prayer each day. We can learn to pray the prayers that God has given to us. Fourthly, as well as praying the Psalms, we can also sing a song. Sing a song. I mean, God has given us the gift of music for a reason. God commands us to sing regularly for a reason. I mean, we sing every single week in church for a reason. 
Because music stirs the human soul more powerfully than almost any other external stimulus. This is why movies use music so effectively. And so use the gift of music to stir your soul in adoration of God. Fifthly, to worship and adore God, we can and we should worship with others. We pointed out last week that the Lord's Prayer is a prayer to be prayed together. It's our family prayer. And it always humbles me. I mean, when we prayed the Lord's Prayer together just a moment ago, do you realize we were joining with billions of other Christians all over the world and throughout history in praying these words? We are going back, right back to the apostles when Jesus gave them this prayer to pray. Since that moment, Christians have been praying that prayer together. And it reminds us that to worship and adore God, we need each other. It's a communal activity. As Pete Gregg says in his book, we are not designed to hallow the Father's name entirely on our own. It's not enough just to download resources for solitary prayer and worship from the internet. I'm pretty sure he wrote this before the pandemic, which is a timely word for us right now, isn't it? He says, we all need the encouragement, the challenge, and the discomfort of active participation in a local worshipping community. We need each other to stir one another up to love, to worship, and to praise God. I mean, just you being here today is an encouragement to my soul. Seeing you praise God, it actually lifts me up to join you in praising our God. We need each other. Sixthly and finally, to help us worship and adore God, we can also lean on others. Now, what I mean by this is we can lean on the prayers that other people have written and prayed. There are so many deep, rich, beautiful prayers that have been written by others. And it's not wrong to read and to pray the prayers that other people have written. Sure, there's a danger that it might become just vain repetition, but they also help us in so many ways. They help us to express what we might struggle to express. They help us to pray when we don't have the words. And so when you don't know what to pray, when maybe you don't even feel like praying, you can lean on the prayers of others. You can pray the prayers in the Bible. And I've put a, a list in a, on a handout that you'll be able to get from the Connection Center and from the, the cart there that has a list of all the prayers in the Bible. You can pray some prayers in the Book of Common Prayer, the Anglican Prayer Book, which is a really beautiful resource. There's the Valley of Vision, a collection of Puritan prayers. I like Everyday Prayers by Scotty Smith. I mean, there's so many resources, and I've put those books I've just mentioned on that list as well. When you don't know what to pray, you can lean on the prayers of others. And listen, it, sometimes it might feel like you're going through the motions. But if you ask any dancer or athlete or, or musician, they will tell you that if you want to become fluent and competent and natural, it's incredibly important to go through the motions. And so these are just six things that you and I can do to build worship and adoration into our prayer life. And it's incredibly important that we do because the very first thing that Jesus calls on us to do when we pray is to pray, hallowed be your name. It's to pick up the telescope and it's to gaze at the goodness and the glory of God. And the really good news is that there is a day coming when as Philippians 2 tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a day coming when God will be seen for who he really is. And until that day, we can pray together. Hallowed be your name. Let's pray. Father, you are the most glorious being in the universe. Yours is the name that is above every other name. Forgive us for where we have not lived as if that is true. Forgive us when we have lived as if other things and other people are more important than you. Help us, Lord, when we pray to begin with the telescope, to see something of your magnificence, of your radiance and of your goodness. And thank you that you have come near to us in Jesus, the image of the invisible God, so that we might see your glory made visible. And Lord, we look forward to that day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And until that day, Lord, we join with Christians throughout history to pray, hallowed be your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for this blessing from God's word? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.